Greetings, Christian Faith Baptist Church, disciples, saints of the Most High God. Welcome to our Bible study this evening as we continue in our study of Romans, and we are in Romans chapter 3. Um, we started Romans chapter 3 on last week, but we did not get very far, so we're going to pick up in Romans chapter 3, and momentarily we'll uh, read some of the uh, passages uh, passage again uh, as we get started, but uh, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your loving kindness, which is better than life. Our lips shall praise you. Thus will we bless you. We lift up our hands into your name. Father, we pray right now in Jesus' name that as we uh, assemble together um, in this virtual platform that you would speak to our hearts as we study your word. Um, may we be challenged, edified, uh, transformed. Um, but thank you, Lord. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise. We thank you, Lord, um, for this fellowship that we can, again, not physically together, but certainly meeting uh, virtually. It, it really does bless uh, our hearts to share together your word. And so, Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 3. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read verses 1 through uh, 9. Yeah, 1 through 9, um, and then we will uh, get started in just a moment. Um, as a reminder, announcement concerning this Sunday uh, we will be Christmas caroling and we will uh, depart uh, right uh, following uh, worship service. Um, and so those of you who signed up, uh, please be ready. It, it According to the uh, weather this year, it doesn't look like there's going to be a rainstorm. So that's a blessing. It may be a little bit cooler, but uh, we're ready to go out and sing praises to the Lord. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, I do see Ola's name. You want to say anything about that, Ola or uh, Deacon Brown? They're I'll good. let Deacon Brown speak. And for she's us. shaking her head yeah, no. So I think I've, I think I may have said it all. So we are ready to, to again to uh, be a blessing uh, to others as well as ourselves being blessed as we uh, uh, minister to those who are sick and shut in. Um, through uh, our Christmas caroling. I know we enjoyed it last year. We're looking forward to it again this year. So Romans chapter three, beginning at verse one, what advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. What if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every human be a liar, as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. But if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust and bringing his wrath on us? I am using a human argument. Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as some slanderously claim that we say, 
Let us do evil that good may result. Their condemnation is just. Verse nine, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. We'll stop there and we'll read the next section, which will be 10 to 19 or 10 through 18 momentarily. But let's let's start there. Uh, we, we started in this dialogue last week um, from Romans 3, verses 1 through 8, 1 through 9. And uh, I believe I, I, I mentioned that there are several questions that Paul um, outlines or lays out for us in helping us to work through under our understanding of law and what, how do we, how is this righteousness? Uh, how, how do we have a right standing of God? And what about the Jews and Gentiles? All those things. And so there's several questions. Uh, that he will pose, and then he answers them. And and so this is where uh, we can just kind of walk through it. So last week, uh, we started um, a little bit uh, down this road. But really, the first question is, um, in verse 1, what advantage is there in being a Jew? Now, that I just kind of let you hold that that question. Uh, because we will answer that when we get later on down into verse 9. So that kind of sets the framework. He's talking about, in a sense, Judaism. What advantage of it, what advantage is there in being a Jew? If you're saying all this, you have to go back to chapter 2 um, about all, basically, um, the law gives us awareness of sin, etc. But basically, what advantage is there in being a Jew? So I ask you to hold that. When we get to verse 9, we'll pick that question up again. So that was question one. Question two, what value is circumcision? And what's the answer to that question? He answers it much in every way. And that probably uh, surprised them because he was giving this all this argument uh, about you know, the value of the law. And um, so, so what are you saying? What value is there in circumcision? Are we going to disregard that? Is that what you're getting at? No, much in every way. And so this is where we have to review um, our biblical history. And we started going down this road last week, but I'm um, so please forgive me if I, as I'm repeating some things, but you have to review the history. It was given circumcision, was given to Abraham as a sign of the covenant. And you have to go back to uh, Genesis chapter 17 to review uh, the sign of the covenant that God had made with Abraham. Actually, the relationship uh, with Abraham begins in Genesis chapter 12. Um, and the lead up to this, the sign of the covenant. Um, let's see. Okay, this will be a good Bible quiz time. And actually, we had one of the scriptures during our prayer time was uh, actually read. So Abraham's firstborn son, can anybody tell me what his name was? Uh, I heard two answers. Do I have to do the Jeopardy song? 
I'll ask again. This, maybe it's a little trick question, but who was Abraham's firstborn son? Ishmael. Okay, we have the correct answer is Ishmael. Now, next part is, um, what was Ishmael's mother's name? Hagar. Yep. Come on now, Deacon Hicks. All right. I'm an Old Testament fan too. <laughs> and, and this is important because, you know, Abraham had a discussion with God. You say, um, you're going to bless me. I don't have any children. And you know, Sarah's frust frustrated and she gives uh, Hagar to Abraham and um, she conceives, Hagar conceives, brings forth the son Ishmael, thinking that, okay, this is going to resolve the issue. It's the issue, but God said, no, that's not what I really had in mind. Um, and then right after, certainly after that, again, we don't know time frame, but after that, um, God says to Abraham, you, you, there, you will be blessed, but it's not going to be a, a, according to your way and your understanding. And um, your plan. And so I'm going to give you the sign of the covenant of circumcision um, as a seal of that covenant. Now that brings up a question that was asked uh, by me after um, Bible study, and that is, why circumcision? Why circumcision? Of all the things that could have been chosen, why circumcision? Was it something that was unique? Um, did this just occur? And if you look at your um, ancient uh, Near Eastern history, circumcision was not anything um, that was unique. It was not widely practiced, but it was practiced among several cultures. And often it was done for those that were of a religious nature or entering into a priesthood. And so, Abraham, or at that time, Abram would have had a, an understanding of that because in the text, when God says, I'm going to give you the sign of circumcision, Abram doesn't seem to say, okay, that sounds like a good deal. Now tell me exactly what circumcision is. And then circumcision is like, uh, never mind. I don't think I really want to go. No, it, there's no kind of discussion like that. It's just here, here's what it is. And so he may have had some kind of concept that this was something that was done as a normal practice. But what often happens um, is that God now gives it a new framework. This is something between I'm making between uh, you and your progeny for forever. Uh, so whenever you think of circumcision now, it's not going to become because you're just a religious priesthood or anything. This is a, a seal of the covenant. So there's could be a many other uh, reasons for it, but that is one to take into account. Yes, nowadays it still continues to be practiced. Is it because of health reasons? Certainly that's part of it. But at that particular time, it was a practice. And why God chose circumcision versus any other things? Why couldn't he just like do pinky swear or anything? No, that's God, this is something that God designed. I'll say that again. This is something that God designed. And so that brings up a big another issue. We're in the season of Advent. 
why did God have to, why did God become flesh? Wasn't there some other way? God's plan, God's design, circumcision, God's plan, God's design. And, and we may not know the whole why, but we do have to trust that this is something that God had in his plan. And, and so I just want to bring that kind of deal with part of the answer to the, the question that was raised, why circumcision? Well, we don't have some of the specifics, but go back to Genesis chapter 17. And it is, um, it is the cutting of the covenant. All covenants were sealed with blood. And so that was perhaps part of it as well. And then later, um, circumcision was codified in the Ten Commandments or the law. So those that's all part of this thing of circumcision. So there was an identity that if you don't have circumcision, you're not part of the family. So that brings up the question, then what value is, is it? Because it is God's design and plan. And that's what we have to trust that the Lord uh, had, a, uh, had a reason um, for, for bringing this to pass. So that's question two. What value is circumcision? And what does he say? Much in every way. And then you have to go again, go back to the history. Next question. Can anybody find the next question? Let's see if you can find it. From those passages of scriptures, one through eight, mainly. The first question was, what advantage is there in being a Jew? Second question, what value is in circumcision? What's the next question? What if some were unfaithful? What if some were unfaithful? What if some did not believe? And what's the answer to that question? Not at all. Let God be true. And everything okay. So, again, first part was, it's God's plan. Secondly, God is not validated by whether we believe or disbelieve. If some disbelieve, if some acted out as they did at the mountain, you remember, uh, worshiping uh, the golden uh, calf uh, all along the, the journey of unfaithfulness, and then even later on, turning their backs on the Lord, both the northern and southern kingdom. So does that invalidate the promises of who God is and what he has uh, done for us? Our unfaithfulness does not nullify who God is. And as it says here, let God be what? be true and everyone a liar. So for those that talk about things like hypocrisy, unfaithfulness, um, all those other things that people will say, well, you know, this is, well, what about this God? There's a bunch of hypocrites in the church. There's still no excuse because God is, God is still God whether we live a life that really reflects him or not. So God is not dependent on us. God is, that he exists. God is. So, so even if some were unfaithful, even if some did not believe, 
that does not nullify who God is. And so if you're going to try to use that as an excuse, again, he has done this already, taken away that excuse. God is who he said he is, or I am who I am. And it's not dependent on um, us. Now, that doesn't give us an excuse that, well, and well, well actually, let me just hold off on that because that issue will come up uh, just a little bit later. So anything else on that? What if some did not believe? The answer is, let God be true and everyone alive. So it's not dependent on us. God exists above and beyond, not limited to our framework. God sets the framework, not us. Next question. What's the next question? Does anybody find it? It starts out by saying, but if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall mm -hmm. we say? Okay. What shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath. So the question could be worded, is God unjust? Is God unjust? That's a significant question, not just for then, but for now as well. Now, is, is God fair? Is this right? And again, what right does he have? So those are some questions that we still wrestle with. It may not be an issue of law, uh, of Moses versus, but it's still a question that's pertinent for us to wrestle with because that question still, is God, is, is he, is he fair? Is, can, can he really do this? So is God unjust? Now, what's the, the, the argument that is made? Well, I'm just going to go ahead and read it. Since our unrighteousness or our doing wrong mm -hmm. demonstrates the righteousness of God, then shouldn't, shouldn't God be patting us on the back for being bad to show how good he is? You're getting, getting the, 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 the argument there, or as it said here, let us do evil so that good may come. Since my being bad highlights God's goodness, then why is God judging me? Is God being fair? Is God being just? Is he setting us up for failure? What, so how do, how do we answer that? Help, let's look at that, that passage. Found in the beginning of verse five and six. Yeah, five and six. So since our, God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us. Say, say that again. Where it says that God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us. Well, it's really in a, in a question. Is, is God unjust for bringing his wrath on us? If 
our unrighteousness serves to show God's righteousness. So let us do evil so that good may come. Remember the discussion that we just had. So if some are unfaithful, does that nullify who God is? And the answer to that was by no means. Yes. Let God be true and everyone be a liar. And this is a similar argument or answer. God's goodness, his holiness, justice are not dependent on our actions. So we cannot say, well, I'm, it's kind of it's kind of bizarre when you really think about it. I'm the the argument may be, well, I'm glorifying God by being bad. Does that even make sense? Well, I'll answer it for you. No, it doesn't make any sense. God's goodness, his holiness or justice are not dependent on our actions. Um, and this is a very, what I would call a very human-centric argument, trying to make excuses that I can just do what I want because, you know, this somehow God is getting glorified. As one uh, commentator has said, you know, this um, just using the, the end does not justify the means. The end does not justify the means. And that's one way to simplify it. Just, you know, our unrighteousness or not anyone's unrighteousness does not bring glory to God as, as it really brings um, attention to the flesh and to evil of what we discussed in, in Romans chapter one. And so these questions, little by little, he's whittling away all of the excuses. That's what he's been doing the last couple of, of um, last couple of chapters. And so he's working them through. Let me pause here to say this. As we work through these questions, he's still bringing to the point that there is gonna be a, a transition coming fairly soon as he's he's got he's talking to about the gentiles they're without excuse jews they are without an excuse and you know dealing with these arguments about you know well then what about this what about this he's cutting that away and so if i could have somebody read verses 9 through 19 9 through 19 What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all, for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery make their ways, mark their ways. And the way of peace, they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Let's stop there at verse 18. <clears throat> stop there at verse 18. 
so <clears throat> when you heard those verses, and I, I thank you for the way, also the way that you read the passage, because you emphasized, um, you know, back in verse 10, um, that's an important point. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understand. No one seeks God. And so when you hear that, that's set up. So, but let before we go any further. So the question that was asked, the first question is restated again in verse nine. Well, do we have, do we, meaning Jews, have any advantage? Um, and what's the answer to that? No. no. The answer to that is no. Why? Because Jews and Gentiles alike are what? Under the power of sin. Now, let me just remind us, we went through the latter part of chapter one, where there was the whole list of sins that were um, that were are being were and are being committed by humanity, the evil, the step falling away from God. And then chapter two was there's, you know, and there is no excuse because Jews and Gentiles alike, whether you have a law or don't have the law, there is no excuse and evil continues. But he says here, the answer is no, because why? Jews and Gentiles alike are alike are under the power of sin. Now, I want to pause there because I don't want to bypass that expression. The power of sin. The power of sin. I'll say it again. The power of sin. We know the effects mm -hmm. of sinfulness, again, outlined in chapter one. But can I just briefly revisit the Garden of Eden? God gave humanity everything. There was no want, no lack, relationship with God, fellowship with God with God was uh, unfiltered, but sin was introduced. Now just think about that for a moment. The majesty power of the creator himself who had that direct relationship with Adam and Eve, yet, Sin was interjected, acted upon the temptation and the broken fellowship. And the result is all have sinned. We'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. So the reason I want to enter, uh, wanted to pause there because I wanted to remind all of us, sin is no joke. It's not just a little mistake, a little gaffe, not just an oops. It is the power of sin. Now we we watch, read, listen to news, and so we hear about evil all the time. Um, and sometimes we ask the question, how can anyone 
do such and such a thing? What were they thinking? The power of sin. It's, it's real. What would make a husband who has a loving wife be unfaithful? The power of sin. What would make a person who has a wonderful job but yet steal money from the company? The power of sin. And it can go, list can go on and on and on. Um, so I'll use what Paul would say in Corinthians. Anyone who thinks he stands, take heed lest he or she fall. I don't want this to be a downer, but I also don't want to pretend like, oh, it's just the word sin. The power of sin is real, not to be taken lightly. Um, the word sin is really uh, translated as missing the mark, missing the mark. So, okay, let's go back to uh, verses 11 through 18, which was which is really a composite of Old Testament scriptures that demonstrate or highlight our sinfulness. Uh, someone turn to uh, Psalm 14, 1 through 3. And if you, when you find it, please read it. That's Psalm 14, 1 through 3. Because this is what part of what this, these uh, scriptures that are mentioned here uh, are from several different uh, Old Testament passages. And the first is Psalm 14, 1 through 3. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Okay. So Psalm 14, 1 through 3. Again, this is... Old Testament, this is within the writings, Psalms, the poet, even in poetry. And what does he say? The fool has said what? One, there is no God. No God. And what does also say about the fool? They are corrupt. There's no one who does good. Everybody has turned away. And not only does mm -hmm. no one do good, not even one. So we already had set in the stage. What he's doing is setting up that the, the sin is very real. Ecclesiastes, verse, uh, rather, yeah, Ecclesiastes 7, verse 20. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 20. When somebody finds that, could you read it, please? Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. Okay, so again, building up the, the argument. Um, so this, Paul is establishing the, the power and the weight of sinfulness that was already dealt with, even in the, as he said, the scriptures, and I highlighted, this is Old Testament scriptures, 
No one on earth is righteous. No one who does what is right and never sins. And we could find a, a New Testament uh, passage in 1 John that says, if anyone says he does not sin, um, he is a liar. <laughs> so it's just, just plain and simple. Um, so let's go to verses 13 and 14 of this particular passage. And there's kind of uh, 13 and 14. So basically it's pointing to what? Re just browse through that passage and just tell me what, what do you uh, garner from that? What is it talking about? Verses 13 and 14. What does it point to? What's the first thing it says there? Verse 13. Their throats are open graves. Their okay, so first, their throat. Mm -hmm. Next part. Tongue. Their tongue. Next. Lips. But where's the, where, okay, there we go. Poison's out. So everything that comes out of their mouth is deceiving, deceitful, I'm sorry, deceiving, poisonous, cursing, and results in death. So whatever they say, that's what it points to. That's just 13 and 14. 15 through 17. Different little pers different perspectives. So, what's next? I should have included fourteen in there um, because fourteen says their mouth their mouth is Ooh. full of cursing and bit bitterness. Mm -hmm. So that whole first thirteen and fourteen talking about what comes out of the mouth, and we know from other scriptures that that's what's in the heart. What's in the heart is going to come out of the mouth. What's in the heart is going to come out of the mouth. So the next verses 15 through 17, what do we gain from there? Looking at so what your feet mm -hmm. and verse 16, ruin and misery. But let's read, let me let read that verse 16 in there. What past. Uh, a misery. Okay, and then verse 17. And the way. So their path, their way, their feet, everything about their conduct of life is about bloodshed, ruin, misery, lack of peace. So when we look back at these scriptures that he's mentioning as long as well as what he points out yeah. and these also are scriptures that as well that he's re referenced i didn't go back and have us read the actual old testament passage um, but those scriptures that he's mentioning um, it paints a very uh, a picture of the power and the weight of sin yeah. that everyone is under everyone yeah. is under um, go ahead. A quote about sin that I like. It says, uh, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Mm -hmm. Can you can you read can you uh read that or state that again? 
sin will take you farther than you want to go, mm -hmm. you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. That's good. That's good. That was um, Robbie Zacharias who said that. And oh, yeah. Okay. With his life, uh, his oh, life ended up, you know, it's that, giving you a perfect illustration of that. that yeah. And I, I was just going to piggyback on that. That is a, an excellent example of the power of sin that you just do not. If, again, going back to what Paul stated in our first Corinthians, if anyone thinks he stands, he or she stands, take heed lest you fall. And verse 19 and 20, Paul re re returns to a uh, discussion of the law. So let's read verses 19 and 20. Now we know that what thing was yep. So ever the law said, it said to them who are under the law, every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Mm -hmm. Is that both 19 and 20? 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Mm -hmm. Okay. Remember, Paul was talking about you know, all the, the various elements of Judaism, uh, circumcision, and now he comes back down to the law. Um, and basically say again, the law was directed to those under the law and primarily talking about uh, Judaism, but he had already talked about the Gentiles having a law unto himself. So basically, everyone is without excuse. That's right. So whether it's under the law of Moses or the natural revealed law or societal law, everyone is without excuse so God can hold them accountable for not living up to the standards, whether it's human standards or the law that God has set in place, everyone falls short. And then what else is saying? Verse, read verse 20 again. Through the law. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God. God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, mm -hmm. through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Mm -hmm. So this, this whole thing about the power of sin, missing out the wickedness that's evident in our life from chapter one, we saw all the sins and we see again, no one is righteous, no, not one, the way we walk, the way we talk. Everything um, is askew um, to follow after sin. And then he gets to law, and you would think that, well, maybe there's some, there's some hope in there that well, the what's going to set this right. But the only thing that the law does is, one, hold us accountable. Mm. And then secondly, the law does what? It says we become conscious of sin. And, and Paul will deal with this also later. But... It, it highlights what the requirements are 
and that we fall short. So if we were to stop there, and we are, <laughs> we would sense that there really <laughs> isn't much hope. We are in a bad condition. If that's all that there is in verses, again, um, verses 19 and 20, then we are in a, a very bad way. And should I really stop there? Um, no, let's just do a peek ahead to next week. Because I don't want to leave you dangling out there. <laughs> but now... Okay, so there is a transition coming, and this is going to be very important. Mm -hmm. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Okay, Woo, take a deep breath. Mm -hmm. So, we can be righteous, not from the law, but it even says the law and the prophets attest to this kind of righteousness. So what is this righteousness that will that has been made manifest? And we will pick it up. Oh, okay. next week. Go ahead. Go ahead. Who is that? Deacon Brown? I was just reading ahead and it says faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, yeah, that's that's a spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I didn't know you were stopping <laughs> I'm prayerful we already know that but mm -hmm. but you do see what Paul has been doing in these first three chapters showing us our futility not just our but humanity's futility and the power the weight of sin and there's nothing that we can do we are without excuse so then what can we do ah there is a righteousness. It's and I have in my it's it's the big reveal, and that's what this Advent season is all about. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only or only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Emmanuel. God with us. That's the good news. And so I did not want to end without leaving uh, us with good news. But we also have to wrestle with and not ignore uh, the power and the weight of sin and sinfulness. But the good news is there is hope. And we'll pick that up next week when we get to uh, primarily verse 22. And I just, let me say this before we, we stop. Perfect time. Before we stop there, um, let me get my written notes. So I, I just wanted to, um, verse 22. And remember uh, Romans 1, 16 and 17. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God into salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Verse 17 goes on to say, for in it, the 
righteousness of God is revealed. So already we, we hinted at it in chapter one. Now it's being returned right here and we'll pick it up on next week. When we get to verse 22, he's going to pick up, well, what about this righteousness of God? And I was mentioned as you read verse 22 and, and following, how can we have a right relationship with God? And those of us who are believers, we know it's through the Son of God, Jesus the Christ, who came, lived, died, buried, and on third day, he rose again, and he's coming back. Amen. Gospel in a nutshell. God bless, and I, I just praise God for this time of studying God's word together. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.